Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Get ready for Mind Shock with Dr. Ron Dalrymple, the premier podcast in the world bringing you hidden truths about your mind's incredible powers. Get ready to free your mind. Welcome to Mind Shock, Dr. Ron Dalrymple, the show that will take you to the outer limits of your mind and to the inner limits, the true final frontier. Our theme for this show is Evolution of the Supermind. Now, I mentioned before on the show that I began working at NASA at 17 years old. Now, that, of course, is way back in ancient history. Back then, we were putting people in space for the first time. It's really a new thing. It's amazing for the whole planet. Back then, we called space the final frontier. I was taking classes in math and physics at the University of Maryland nearby, Goddard Space Flight Center, where I was. Then I started taking some classes in psychology my junior year, actually also the end of the sophomore year, and I started seeing, seeing correlations in all the major theories of psychology and various principles of math, math, and physics. I was kind of stunned by that. And so at 19 years old, I discovered that the idea that if the mind is an energy field, that transcends the physical brain, then the true final frontier is inner space, the exploration of the true powers of mind. So our mission is to take you to the true outer limits of inner space. So think about that paradox, the outer limits of inner space. That's the real journey for us to figure out. Our motto for this show is supermind, superbody, and super spirit. Today's chaotic world is a revolution sweeping the globe about who we are what we're doing here, this revolution has to happen now for a very important reason. A mind revolution is occurring that is changing everything. Old new theories of mind that for an old science on its head, old science, three-dimensional thinking, Newtonian physics has been replaced in respect by Einstein-type concepts. Old science is three-dimensional, or four if we had time, and limited to the physical senses. So we're developing new models of science now that consider n dimensions as n approaches infinity, that's a mathematical notation, n, you know, infinitely, hard, infinitely high number, which approaches infinity. So today we have a humble guest. We also have a new book called Taming the Menagerie, Mind Games People Play. So today I'm the guest on my own show because I want to talk about this new book. It's a really fascinating topic, the idea of mind games, because mind games are played all the time in the world. The world is filled with mind games, deception, deceit, manipulation, it goes on all the time in politics, social circles, schools, governments, universities, of course, the military, the media. Mind games are everywhere. Now, some books have been written on this subject, such as Eric Byrne's classic book way back in the 60s called Games People Play. He formulated a thing called transactional analysis, but now it's a little bit out of date, I think. No offense to him. He had some great work. 
In other classic books, going back to history, delve into the area of mind games and manipulation. One, of course, is Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Now, he was a Chinese general about 2,500 years ago who was also a diplomat, and he wrote a book about the nature of war and how to manipulate and deceive your enemy to win in conflicts. Machiavelli wrote the book The Prince in the 1500s. He was allied with the Borgia family in Italy. He was a minor official who basically was out of out of grace, as it were, the powers of be for a long time. He wrote his book studying history and how governments manipulated its masses and ruled the people. In more recent times, Robert Greene wrote some great books called The 48 Laws of Power and The 33 Rules of War. Very, very interesting, talking about all these countless situations where rulers and generals and whatnot can maneuver or outmaneuver each other and also control the public through use of the media and often very surreptitious means. In any case, this is a whole new look at it because in this book we've incorporated the idea of psychological defenses tied into mind games as well as personality disorders. Some of the most powerful and famous and successful people in history, believe it or not, were actually personality disorders, which means they had some type of fixation in their mind which drove their behavior. So our new book, Mind Games, people play a couple of comic scenes and some revealing insights. The book will probably shock and amuse some folks. I hope we'll talk to you interested in this topic because you must understand these things today because mind games go on so prolifically within the media today to manipulate our beliefs and our thoughts and understand what's going on. Also in governments, which are often quite corrupt. So some games are, are very subtle. You can easily, they can easily escape your view. Others are more obvious. And others are hiding behind layers of illusion built all around them. Mind games can rob us of our wealth, our relationships, our peace of mind, and our lives. Never bought a house or a car, which turned out to be a real lemon, you'll know what I'm talking about. Maybe the salesperson sold you a bill of goods that was totally false. That happens a lot, unfortunately, for the sales. So no one's really safe from mind games unless you recognize them and learn how to cope with them. I've been researching this for many, many years. I remember at the age of five years old, it occurred to me that some parents or some adults in the neighborhood were lying about things. I'd see things that happen. I'd see them lie about it. I'd ever thought, well, parents are the authorities. They tell the truth. Well, I don't know. They don't tell the truth. They're lying about this. They're lying about that. What is going on? So five years old, I was puzzling over this issue of manipulation and deceit. Now, some key messages in this book are that mind games are played all the time, sometimes from conscious levels and sometimes from unconscious levels. And mind games come in many forms. They often tie into a person's defense mechanisms, that's the psychological defenses they have to deal with the outside world, and again, to various personality disorders and other psychiatric diagnoses. So, in other words, people playing the mind game have all kinds of issues happening at deep levels of the mind. Now, some couples also lock, lock into complementary mind games, which come from fixated personality variables, which can also eventually destroy the relationship. For example, sometimes a narcissistic person might bond with a very dependent person. The narcissist is very controlling and self-focused, but also tends to take care of the dependent person who then becomes the manipulative and dependent upon the narcissistic person to get what he or she wants. So it kind of flows back and forth. We find that the narcissist at deeper levels have various dependency needs. An independent person, deeper levels, has narcissistic needs. So they're kind of inverse to each other, and they lock together in a relationship, which might last for a few years, but in many cases it will fall apart unless they do some serious work to solve their issue. Now, some family systems are filled with interlocking mind games between multiple players, producing a maelstrom of confusion and chaos for everyone. 
In fact, entire organizations, whether private, government, military, or social, can be layered with destructive mind games that toxify the entire organization. In fact, many companies fail because of mind games that go on within them, which are not resolved. Now, so the book is about how to recognize, counter, and deal with these toxic mind, emotion, behavioral distortions, and to help recreate any organization. So throughout these many decades, I'm studying mind games that people play, an endless array, and we put this book together to help folks understand what is going on. So I want you to imagine that the story in this book is happening to you. And also I'd like to put out there that if you read the book, Mind Games People Play, which is on our website, www.drrundalrimple2.com, you read that book, and if you can think of some mind games we haven't thought of or put in the book, send us a notification about it on our Facebook page, Mind Games People Play. And if you want to, we'll give you recognition for that. It's up to you. It's kind of a fascinating thing to think about. You might have discovered something that we haven't seen yet. We're always open to starting new minds. So our story begins with a bright young woman. She's offered an inheritance by her father. Where after one year, she might inherit a very powerful radio station in New York City in Manhattan, which is worth millions and millions of dollars. But first, you must figure out in the organization all the toxic mind games being played. And she has many opponents there, including her cousin, who's very, very manipulative and narcissistic. She must remove the toxic elements from the company and show a profit for the year, or else she will lose everything. So imagine that was happening to you. Suppose you found out you just inherited something worth millions and millions of dollars, but you had one year to perform this very difficult task, task first, or else you would lose that inheritance. But before we go on with that story, I want to look at some of the famous cases of mind games played by some very powerful people in the world to give you a sense, an idea of the complexity of games that might arise within any given institution. You know, talk about, first off, Alexander the Great, and also one of his admirers centuries later was Napoleon Bonaparte. Now, both these people were really quite ingenious, in fact, brilliant military leaders, but Julian Bonaparte had some psychological issues going on which led to his eventual demise later on. He was outsmarted and outwitted by somebody who existed in that world of government and politics and manipulation and so forth who worked their way around him. So what we want to do is jump up. I'm jumping up here to my next pages. We're going to talk about, first off, the work of Alexander. Alexander the Great was born in Macedonia. His father, Philip II, was a very powerful and brilliant person who was also very, very manipulative and whatnot. And Alexander really despised his father. He hated him because of a lot of things that went on between them. He loved his mother very much, but despised his father. This is most unfortunate because the father was murdered at some point when Alexander was just 20 years old. Now, some sources say that Alexander did the assassination. Others claim it was somebody else. In any case, he was assassinated, and Alexander took over the government and took over the military. Now, in Greece, there were different cities like Thebes and Athens, which succeeded from what was called the Hellenic Union, which Philip II had created. So his father created this great government, composed all these different city-states, which were very powerful themselves in those days. So what happened was that Alexander had these two cities secede from that union when he became king. So he decided to take any action. Now, the said, no, no, take your time, build back slowly, win their trust. 
No, there's no way. He was actually trained by Aristotle. Well, how Aristotle trained him to teach him the ways of the world. So what he did was he immediately invaded Thebes, took it over, defeated them, and forced them back into the union. Well, Athens was rather terrified. Both intellectuals said, well, we don't want this. We don't want to go to war. Let's instead both join back to the union. Well, the other was, and that's what they did. They joined back to the union. So he then moved on, conquering some other areas, and eventually he attacked Persia. Now, Persia had been the age-old enemy of Greece for many, many centuries, because Persia tried to invade Greece centuries before, and failed at it, and were outmaneuvered. Now, you've heard about the marathon, of course, people running 26 miles, or over 26 miles. This actually happened in history in Greece. The Greeks had to run from one place to another to stop the Persian navy from invading. They defeated them. So the Persian Empire, which is vast and powerful, they defeated it, but they're still looking for ways to get back to Greece. So as a result, Alexander decided to invade Persia, and he started to, started to invade the country. He made his point, and then he pulled back. His advisor said, why are you doing this? Why are you pulling back? You must go on. But he knew that would be a frontal attack, and he might well be defeated by the vastly powerful Persian army. So instead, he played some mind games on them, did something totally different. Instead, moved down the coast, taking over various areas. He went to Egypt and took over the vast fertile fields of Egypt, which produced much of the food the Persian Empire had been running upon for some time. He also had a very small navy. He could not possibly deal with the Persian navy, which was vast. So then based them, he went to all the different ports, all the naval ports used by Persia, and took them over with his army. So he cut them off. He cut off their naval sources, cut off their grains from Egypt, and then eventually he did invade Persia. But by then they were a much weakened state. He could not resist until he defeated them. So he did the non-obvious. He went around the block, as it were, did something very, very different, which led to the destruction of Persia, which had been brewing for a long, long time. It was very interesting. So it was a mind game he played to manipulate and get around his opponents. Now, years later, Napoleon Bonaparte really admired, really admired him in the games he had played. He was really uh, enthralled by the fact that this young man, never 20 years old, like trained by Aristotle, trained in how to think and how to outdo people, to think ahead many, many steps, Napoleon greatly admired him. So when he came along many years later, right after the French Revolution, he was first a lowly-ranking guy in 1793. In fact, he went from captain in the French Revolution, Revolutionary Army to brigadier general. He was a really young man also. In 1796, he became the leader of the French force in Italy, fighting the Austrians, whom he crushed that year and again three years later. So he crushed the Austrians several times, did his fighting because of it. He became the first Council of France in 1801 and Emperor in 1804. In 1805, he humiliated the Austrian Russian armies to the Battle of Austria. So this is a guy, a young guy, who outmaneuvered these much larger forces, these much larger armies and whatnot, who had much experience. But think about how this works. These other armies were led by much older generals that had been around a long time, kept perpetuating the tactics and maneuvers of the past. This is true in the world in general, especially in terms of warfare and whatnot in politics. If you keep repeating the actions of the past, eventually the other side is going to figure out what you're doing and no longer work. You must constantly innovate. Well, when he was young, Napoleon was very innovative. So in one famous battle, he had his troops attack with backpacks on their backs. That's all they had. 
And so they move at very, very rapid speed. They work more like guerrilla forces. They also created various different corps or a coalition of different army forces who worked independently under his general orders, but they also could innovate. Now, most armies are navies, the people don't take action, so they ask the boss. And he said, when he takes it back to the general, the animal, whatever, say, what do we do? That creates great delays. Nowadays, we have much faster communication, but those days they didn't. Somebody had to ride by horse, maybe many, many miles, get an answer and ride back again, but then it was too late. Too many things had happened. So the Prussians were very slow moving. They had their wagons, they carried their provisions, whatnot, their water, their food, their tents. They moved very, very slowly. But the French under Napoleon moved very quickly. They moved like guerrillas and could attack them, attack, retreat, attack, retreat, and just basically tore them apart. They moved with very astonishing speed and ability. Now, they also used snipers. There were certain situations where the Prussians fell under the sniper fire of Napoleon's men, right behind garden walls, on house roofs and whatnot. So they'd lure the Prussians in, various towns, set them up, and attack them and kill them that way. But again, we don't talk about war here, folks, because they advocate war at all. Rather to help you understand the thinking that goes on behind these maneuvers and manipulations, because it also applies to civilian life and the political, the political as well. It's like a house of cards. The Prussians quickly crumbled. One fortress after another, one town after another. The king fled. In a matter of days, nothing was left of the great Prussian army. The Prussian had been a very, very terrible army. It was decimated by Napoleon. So Napoleon is a very creative thinker. He studied maps for days and days and days before an operation to figure out exactly what to do. He had very innovative strategies and approaches based upon speed and fluidity so his armies would converge upon the enemy from different directions and catch them off guard. He kept doing what people did not expect him to do, his famous Alexander. Alexander did the unexpected to catch the enemy off guard. And the point created innovations to defeat the tiresome old strategies of the Prussian temple. Again, just as Alexander had done. Now, habit takes over in old victories rule us, like I said before, until they until had a date and realized they don't work anymore, as the opponent will see them. So this also happened to Napoleon, however, when he invaded Russia in June of 1812. Now, by then he was emperor of Europe, he was very powerful, he actually controlled several nations. A lot of people despised him, he ruled the other nations, and the old, the old nobility, of course, despised him. So they were looking for any way to get even with him and to take power away from him. In 1807, going back to then, he had, he was the Napoleon Bonaparte of France and Tsar Alexander I of Russia signed a treaty of alliance. They became allies. So the period's two great military powers were linked together. However, the Russians resented this. Napoleon tended to abuse his power. They wanted to abuse theirs, naturally. And various Russian aristocrats were trying to influence the Tsar to repudiate that treaty. They kept violating the treaty. And finally, by August of 1811, Napoleon had had enough. It was time to teach Russia a lesson. He then lay plans for an invasion. So if he could acquire the vast territory of Russia, it would make him the most powerful ruler in the world. Of course, ego places greatly. Volker is a Napoleon complex. He was a very short male, but he had a massive, massive ego. He was a really brilliant guy militarily. In any case, he wanted to ensure his victory. He studied maps endlessly, went over this with his advisor and whatnot, but did a lot of the work on his own. He eventually invaded Russia in June of 1812 with 650,000 men, which was one of the largest forces in the world by that point. He marched into Russia, and 43,000 of them were the main attack force. The rest were there to secure lines of communication and supply, drive the wagons, and so forth. He also read up on the failed invasion of Russia by King of Sweden, Charles XII, in 1709. And he anticipated the Russians might revert to a scorcher of policy, which is what they did, in fact. 
but his army would be as self-sufficient as possible. He took along fodder for 150,000 horses. He imagine how many wagons they had. He also took ahead the parts of a, a grain mill that he grind their own grain into flour along the way to feed his troops. He also invaded in June, thinking the grasses of Russia would be rich and green and good, good food, of course, for the horses. In any case, they invaded in June, were marching into Russia, but they ran into massive, unexpected, and unmanageable difficulties. For example, they had massive rain, which made the roads really impassable. The intense summer heat brought the Army's movements to a crawl. Also, 10,000 horses ate rank grass and died within days of the invasion from the very start. Supplies were failing to reach the forward troops fast enough. Dysentery quickly took over the French troops, which is a really nasty, horrible disease. So 900 men were dying each day. Think about that, folks, how many were dying. Dysentery is an infection in the intestines that causes bloody diarrhea and can be caused by a parasite or by bacteria. You can imagine how horrifying this was to them, how nasty it was. Now June bled into July. You see, it became clear the Russians we're going to join up their two armies at Smolensk, which is over 200 miles east where Napoleon intended to fight them, and it's a mere 280 miles from Moscow. He planned this whole thing out. The Russians kept retreating, throwing his plans off, plus his troops and horses were falling apart. So a thousand French soldiers had succumbed to disease and hunger, but a single battle being fought. Now, folks, we're going to come back after a short break here in a minute and talk more about some of these classic mind games and introduce you to the idea of the complexity of mind games that go on between, in this case, very brilliant people and how many over each other. It's Dr. Ryan Dalrymple on Mind Shock. We'll be back in a minute. Yeah, take a moment for sponsors, folks. Stay with us. Be right back. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything, and once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. ASMC, the premier German company that supplies everything for adventure, from outdoor clothes to outdoor gear, even backpacks. Lots of quality and lots of specials. To start your adventure, go to HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ASMC. Paradise Found 2015 is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throw in a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, Build muscle or just live healthy. Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. A complete mind development course, The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind towards success. But it's not a boring read. 
you are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery. A powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. The Inner Manager at Amazon.com. Remember, positive impact. www.healthylife.net. Shock. They were talking about a brand new book we just published called Mind Games People Play. Actually, the longer title is Taming the Menagerie. Taming the Menagerie, Mind Games People Play. It's all about the mind games people play and political situations and social circles and so forth and military and war. And it really points out that's what's going on in the world today, which we'll get to later. But we some of the classic cases of mind games is very informative. We're just talking about Alexander the Great and Napoleon. We left off where Napoleon has invaded Russia. This is way back in 1812. So after a very short time, thousands of the soldiers had died through disease and hunger, a single battle being fought. The army was strung out along a 500-mile line. In those days, that was a massive line. It would be today, too, but think about the logistics of that. And parts of them were being attacked by small troops of Cossacks on horseback, who were very, very ferocious fighters, who right in, attacked the troops, maybe group 20 or 25, and disappeared. They set the, the tents on fire, set their grain stores on fire, whatever the damage they could do, and then disappear. So the French moved on towards Smolensk, hoping to meet up with Alexander I, who was the ruler of Russia, the Tsar, his forces. They arrived there in mid-August, and by then their 450,000-man attack force had been reduced to 150,000, worn down by the intense heat and dying from dysentery and so forth, starvation. So, as Napoleon predicted, the Russians made a stand there, but ungrateful. They thought they were going to defend that sacred city to them. They fought for a few days, and the Russians retreated again. So, they retreated back towards, towards Moscow, basically. And on September 7th, along the way, the two armies clashed again near the village of Borodino, which is a mere 75 miles from Moscow. And Napoleon no longer had enough forces or cavalry to do his usual flanking maneuver or try to surround the enemy and so forth. Been the way he used to because he's sort of depleted of men and horses. Seven days later, on September 14th, 1812, his army, now reduced to 100,000, remember they were originally 650,000 entering Russia, and 100,000, they straggled into an undefended Moscow. So think of this. The Russians, of course, were doing the scorched earth policy, right? They knew what they were doing. They knew how to get away with, well, actually defeating this man. So he marches into Moscow and finds out that the city is empty. And right away, a fire starts. They started the fire. Their place is burning. It's burning down. And they found out there were no water pumps. The Russians had taken out the water pumps. So the water system could not be used to fight the fire. So they burned their own city, their own capital, to defeat Napoleon. Well, this, of course, infuriated him. He was understandably... Uh, enraged by it because the point of the kind of ego we wanted to stand and fight. He very much wanted to fight his enemies. He was very tough-minded in that sense. He was quite brilliant. He loved the combat. But he was outwitted by Alexander, who maneuvered around him 
denied him that opportunity. So he was frustrated, he was angry, he was upset. He thought about staying in Moscow and occupying the city, but he could not defend the city because this would give Alexander I, the Tsar of Russia, much more time to organize his forces to surround and decimate Napoleon. So instead, he started marching back towards the border of Russia. They had to pass through Borodino, where they had a ferocious fight with the Russians. And there were many soldiers on the, on the ground still who had been unburied, who had been attacked by wolves and so forth. It's a horrifying scene. You can imagine these guys marching back. They had been defeated by the maneuvers of Alexander I. They were all scared to death because the Cossacks kept attacking them, virtually attacking them. And now there are much larger groups of Cossacks, even up to the size of 500 men. So a battalion would be, in those days, a battalion strength, be attacking them and doing them huge damage. While all their horses were gone, they had to run. It was also getting very cold then. The winter was coming on, the brutal, cold Russian winter was coming on. So they had to run as fast as they could, trying to avoid being attacked by the Cossacks, trying to survive with almost no food to eat, no water, going through a very desolate area which had been burned by the retreating Russians before. They also didn't pass through Smolensk, where the previous battle had occurred. And also there were many horse courses on the ground there, and horrible, horrible scenes. People were, were being driven back to the boundary of Russia. Napoleon, part of the way back, got word that a coup had been attempted in Paris to overthrow him. So he left with his personal guard and left the rest of them to retreat on their own. So he rode ahead. They still had horses and got back to Paris to stop the coup. In any case, ultimately, the vast majority of this great French army and Napoleon were destroyed. Only some 25,000 people made it back to France. Think about that, folks. 650,000, 25,000 made it back. You can imagine the destroyed reputation of Napoleon, who called himself the Emperor of Europe. He was a brilliant guy militarily, but invading Russia was a profound mistake because of scorched policy. Also tried by Charles XII of Sweden in 1709. The same problem happened to him, the scorched earth. They simply retreated to defeat him. After a while, such a vast space, you just can't cover it. Also happened to Hitler in World War II. He invaded Russia to get to the Ural to get the oil, south of the Ural Mountain. So the same maneuver was used on all these different people. In case, destroyed Napoleon, he went back to Paris and then tried to reprise his empire. But many people, of course, were scheming against him to try to stop him. He wanted him out of power. He made lots of enemies by then. In any case, he was outmaneuvered by Metternich, who was an official in the Austrian government through the Prussian court in Berlin at that time. He was a very powerful guy in his own right. He was only 32 years old. He had made friends with Napoleon earlier in order to manipulate him out of power. He did this by having Napoleon marry the daughter of the Austrian emperor. So by marrying her, he married into nobility, which really, really manipulated his ego, because he was a guy from you know, poor background, from Corsica. And to him, it was an incredible thing to suddenly have someone take him seriously, he fought, in order to have him marry into nobility. So in his mind, this made him nobility, right? So he thought that that put him on a whole new level of equality with Metternich and the rest of them. However, what was going on was they were setting him up for destruction. 
1813, after returning from the disaster in Russia, all these nations of the world were organizing against him, and Metternich offered to be the go-between between Napoleon and his other nations to arrive at some kind of peace so he can keep his power. Well, he went to meet Metternich in June of 1813, and Metternich was no longer the friendly, affable guy, uh, and diplomat and so forth. He was with him with very cold eyes and told Napoleon in a very cold voice that he must agree to this new arrangement. We are going to reduce the boundaries of France to where they were before. You're going to give up all your prior power, and that's the way it is, or we will destroy you. But he was shocked by this. He realized it had been played all along by somebody who was much better at minding. That's the point. Metternich was a real pro in the court system, a new head of manipulate and connive and wheel and deal, and he, he preyed upon the insecurity of Napoleon. Napoleon had a great insecurity complex, as when Napoleon somebody's vastly insecure, he tries to compensate for it by other means. But in any case, this is how he was removed from power, because he went to war with these other nations. We'll get back to folks in a few moments. First of all, we're going to take another short break. Dr. Ryan Dalrymple, Mind Shock. Right back with more upon mind games people play and the great example of the fall of Napoleon. Be right back. Stick with us. Here's a fun, stimulating program that can teach you how to develop your own powers of creation. It uses a three-part mind, stimulating approach to get you to develop your own creative thinking. It will help you create a powerful self-image and helps you see how you can take creative action. You'll develop your thinking power and your skills, and you can do this in eight days. Get Dr. Ron Dalrymple's book, Eight Days to Creative Power, on Amazon.com. Overcome your problems with this step-by-step guide. So get Eight Days to Creative Power on Amazon.com. Get high-quality glasses, sunglasses, and prescription lenses at eyeglasses.com. Choose from over 250,000 items and 400 brands. Already have frames? Get replacement lenses. It's easy. Go to our advertiser page and click eyeglasses.com. A complete mind development course, The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind towards success. But it's not a boring read. You are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery. A powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. The Inner Manager at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, build muscle, or just live healthy, Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything. And once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network.
folks. Welcome back. Dr. Ron Dalrymple and Mind Shock talking about mind games people play. A great example of Napoleon who's outsmarted by Metternich, who was the Austrian nobleman and official. What happened was Napoleon basically had lost his gusto in a sense because remember when he was younger, he was a brilliant tactician and strategician. He'd outmaneuver other entire armies with a much smaller force. He outfought them and outfought them. He really was a brilliant general. However, he entered the world of so-called nobility. Now, remember, nobility generally means people have been in power for hundreds of years. And they're very, very schooled. Manipulation and deceit. What goes on in the courts, of course, are all kinds of mind games and schemes and backstabbing and assassinations and so forth. So Metternich made friends with Napoleon. Napoleon first asked him to join his court as, as the emperor of Europe. He wanted Metternich and other top nobles to be with him to give him a, a better image. But instead, he's being played. Metternich worked his way into Napoleon's mind, and that's the, the point that in military and in politics and in social world, you must understand the minds of people you're dealing with because what they're doing behind the scenes you often don't know. But understanding mind games will give you great power to avoid the kinds of traps that Napoleon fell into. Now, think this guy. He's the emperor of Europe. He was a brilliant guy, very smart, vastly wealthy by then. He was a real ladies' man. He thought he had lots of lovers and so forth. So did Metternich. They shared that in common. It's part of the bond they had. It's part of the manipulation as well. But in any case... Napoleon stepped into an arena where he really had no knowledge, no full knowledge of what went on. He had no appreciation for it. He realized that Metternich had fooled him, had flipped the switch on him, as it were, was not his friend, never had been, but just played up to him in order to use him and manipulate him out of power. This was in 1813. So in any case, Napoleon refused the offer made by Metternich, who not given to the other nations, who not roll over, as it were. Instead, he went to war against them, and he was defeated, in 1814, he was sent to the island of Elba, where he was first exiled. Now, he escaped there from later later on, and there were more battles with Napoleon, which perhaps we'll get to later on. The point to get from this is that in every arena you deal in, if you go into like a new job or a new community, or if you marry into a new family, there's all kinds of different thought systems, belief systems they have, different practices they have, different things that drive them. And it can also equate to different mind games. A lot of folks play mind games to get what they want, they're not always honest by any means. So think of the mind games play that to the international level. Today's world, think about what went on in the world of Napoleon. Now it's much more complicated because we have much more sophisticated types of media, which can be used to brainwash people, to turn their minds to the way the media wants you to turn. We also have a system where you're under constant surveillance. If you're on your computer, on your phone, doing faxes, whatever, or texting, emails, all of it can be read by a very powerful force you behind the scenes. What happens now is that people that go in the world are playing chess at the grand master level. That means a very high level thinking ahead. Now, in two-dimensional chess, you've got basically eight-by-eight board. All those who play chess know about this. Same size as checkerboard. And you've got different players and whatnot on each side. You game is to outmaneuver each other and eventually capture the king of the opponent. And a friend of mine who is an international chess master in Colorado I knew many, many years ago, so there are about 10 to the 60th possibilities of moves in chess. So think about that, 10 to the 60th. That's 10 followed by 60 zeros. That's a massive number of variations of possibilities. You kind of think that like a grand master is a really complex process. Now, computers do it, and now humans can't beat the computers if they can think ahead or actually program ahead far, far beyond what a human can do. In any case, think about you're in a situation where you're playing 10-dimensional chess, not two, but 10 dimensions, you must think ahead 20 moves for every piece. Think about the complexity of that. 
That's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with different people, all of whom play different mind games, different levels of intelligence, sophistication, and so forth. So you must do often life what Alexander and Napoleon did, to think way ahead to avoid. Now I'm not saying play mind games on others. I'm saying recognize the mind games so you aren't manipulated, you aren't maneuvered, and you aren't forcing the things you don't want to do it. Now Napoleon's that smart by Metternich, who read his weaknesses and basically played him for a fool. And Napoleon realized it. Now everybody has their own blind spots and weaknesses. They all have their own fixations within or beliefs or whatever, false beliefs, false uh, thoughts and so forth, or fixated emotions. We talked before about thoughts and emotions often fixating the mind. And so people often play mind games based upon their personality disorders or personalities and based upon their psychological defenses. So think about with all the lies told and sold, what is the real truth behind the scenes in any given situation? Also think about this, because this is what's happening in the world today on a larger level. If you and, say, a small group of people were vastly wealthy, think about if you had billions and billions of dollars, you had a bunch of friends that had billions or maybe even trillions of dollars, and you were trying to control the world behind the scenes, how would you do it? What would you do? What's your first step? Well, the first step that's been actually done is to first control the money system. They control the money. You control the money in the organization, you actually can control the organization. You control who gets appointed, who gets promoted, who gets fired, who gets moved here, moved there, which investments you put money into, what buildings are made, whatever. You really have control. So the CFO in a corporation, the chief financial officer, often has more power than the CEO, the chief executive officer. The CFO has great power. And now in the world, it's often the chief information security officer. CISO has more power because they run a computer system. Controlling the money is key to controlling any given system. Now, they also have the money to buy politicians. And the politicians we know are bought and paid for because they have to spend millions and millions of bucks to get reelected every time. Where does that money come from? Donors, yes. Often very big donors who then own them and want things back in return. They basically own them and control them. It's happening now in the world. That's very world governments are really controlled by these very, very powerful monopolies. It's just more about monopolies. So they use money to buy politicians. They can also buy and control the media to brainwash the public. That's what goes on also, folks. This is just the way it is. This is what's out there. They use money to brainwash the people through the media. There's six major corporations which control the media, at least in the Western world, and those are very, very powerful monopolies themselves. They all integrate together, give a concerted story, try to control what people think. This is a natural result of the, the primal thinking we talked about before, or the reptilian-type thinking that often goes into the maneuvers and whatnot. I think about way back in ancient times, millions of years ago, when people were tribal, they, they lived in living tribes, and they fought each other as enemies. That mentality is still there in the minds of many. We live in a very competitive world. People compete for the top. And who gets to the top of these very powerful, rich systems? Well, the most ruthless. The most ruthless people rise to the top because they're willing to make any step they have to take to get there. Things most of us would not do. They also start wars to make billions in arms sales. Think about this. People actually start wars to make money. Let's say arms of both sides. And this is not some conspiracy theory folks. There's thousands of books about this. We can tell you about it. Books upon books upon books. What goes on behind the scenes in the world. Not on the media, on TV, but you can't find it in books. Talk about the fact that these major corporations, in fact, one book I found at Maryland University when I was a student there, was published in 1934, it's called Merchants of Death. Get that book out, Merchants of Death, the classic book about how World War I was started by the arms dealers working with the, the media, the various groups of the world to start the wars, to make money, to sell arms all sides, 
and also to take control of the oil fields of the Middle East, to divide up the oil fields, which is what they did. So fighting for oil has been a big, big issue in the world since the 1840s when the Industrial Revolution came along. In any case, wars started to make money, selling billions in arms, and also taking over countries that collapsed nations. But monetary inflation, which you see happening now in many countries where we have the yeah, money systems, which are being hyperinflated, which will eventually collapse the system. So folks, we're talking today about mind games people play. We're talking now about what happens on the international level. It's all the shocking information. Uh, please don't be shocked. Please go research it. Go read books. Go study this. Look into it. Don't believe what's on TV. A lot of TV is baloney, pure fiction. Instead, dig into it and find out what's there. So be back in a moment, folks. Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shock. Stick with us. Be right back. Paradise Found 2015 is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throw in a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com. If you want USA and worldwide car rentals, choose rentacar.com. Free cancellations on most bookings, no hidden charges. They are trusted by over 4 million customers. Visit our advertiser page and click on the Rent-A-Car banner. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything, and once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. This is Jack Maher from the band Feed the Kitty. It's important to support the artists you love, and you can do that and get something authentic for yourself. Rock.com has the most coveted, licensed merchandise of music, culture, and entertainment. So go to the advertiser page and click on Rock.com now. Quantum Field Psychology 2nd Edition is an astounding book on the new theory of mind. It is the first unified field theory that incorporates the influence of the mind and emotion on physical reality, the universe, and even other minds. It actually integrates all modern psychology with quantum physics, mathematics, Western, and Eastern spiritual beliefs. It's the true bridge between science and spirituality. Get your copy of Quantum Field Psychology, second edition, by Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Amazon.com. Radio your way. HealthyLife.net. Shock. They were talking about our book, Mind Games People Play, using examples from history. We're currently talking about what happens at the international level, where very powerful people who control these vast monopolies, you know, monopolies that basically replace monarchies. We talked before about how in the Middle Ages, monarchies ruled the world. 
Now they've been taken over by monopolies, which work very much in the same way. Basically, ruthless dictatorships, but which hide behind the scenes much better hiding now. You always know who's pulling the strings or pushing the buttons. In any case, by monetary inflation, they can collapse nations and take control of them from within. They can also take control of the military to use arms. Pardon me, to use arms against any given enemy. They control that. They also control the intelligence forces to assassinate anyone who gets in the way. So intelligence agencies are many, many which have the sanction to kill, as it were, anybody who gets in the way of their operations. They can also build a surveillance state, read the minds of all, basically, to control them which is what we have going on now today, folks, all over the world. In any case, these are very, very heavy topics. We understand that. We don't want to shock you, but we want you to understand that much of the world is run by duplicity, by lies, deceit, by mind games that people play. So it's very important to be aware of these to protect yourselves and your families and for the nations of the world to eventually take control back of their nations away from these organizations which have infested them and take control of them from within. The manipulation, deceit, fascination, genocide, you name it. So, how do we protect ourselves from the mind games of others? The end of our book, which is called Taming the Menagerie, Mind Games People Play, which is on our website, www.drrondalrempel2.com. It's on there. Check it out. At the end of the book, we have a section called Ten Commandments for Self-Defense Against Mind Games. Number one is recognize that mind games can be consciously or unconsciously motivated. Some folks play them and don't realize it. Most realize it to some degree. Some are fully conscious, some are not. Also, we want to be able to detect and observe the presence of a mind game. Try to be aware of feeling uncomfortable in a situation or suspecting that all is not being told, not being told the full truth, like you're buying a car or buying a house. This means you're sensing a contradiction in what is being said and what is meant or hidden. Number three, if you aren't sure of where the attack or sabotage is coming from, buy for more, more time. Step back, tactfully ask the person to explain what they mean, I'll ask Mark, give you more details, be specific, make them be specific. It's generalities or ways of avoiding issues. Number four, the other person tries to slip off the issue to distract the tactful confrontation, bring them back to the issue. Keep coming back to the issue and firmly request what you want to know. Don't slide off and tell me something else. Tell me the truth. Do this as many times as necessary. Number five, be certain not to take any attack personally. Many people project onto you what's inside of them to manipulate you as their target. It doesn't mean they see you clearly for the person you are at all. Realize that the attack comes from the other person's mind and emotions, and the need, the need have no relationship to reality might be totally false. The person is offering constructive feedback to help you, even though minds and new perspectives, if being attacked in some way, look at where it's coming from. Realize you're responsible, number six, for your own feelings. Do not let yourself feel responsible for another person's feelings as being codependent, as long as you conduct yourself in a fair and ethical manner, which is important that we always do that as much as possible when we're dealing with people who are not fair and not ethical. And also, you cannot fix other people, only they can change themselves. They must take responsibility to change your behavior to stop playing the mind games. Another person may try to activate your feelings of guilt, anxiety, anger, or other emotions to manipulate your behavior. We'll cover that later on in our further sessions about mind games. We'll get back to our book. So you're the creator of your own life. You must separate your boundaries clearly from other people. Number seven, it's very important to build your positive self-image in every way you can. So have supreme self-confidence, but also be humble. It's a very powerful combination. You lose your humility, you get into hubris or ego. That's what traps a lot of people like it did Napoleon, right? So you build your positive self-image every way you can. 
and don't allow yourself to rely upon the opinions and expectations of others to create your self-esteem. Create it yourself. You must have unconditional self-esteem and a very positive self-image which can give us great strength to deal with the world. Number eight, make a habit. Always be an of your feelings to those you can trust, if you can trust them. You can't always be sure. And also demand tactfully that they be honest with you. If they refuse, then perhaps you don't want to build a relationship with that person. You must learn to trust slowly. You know, there's a little bit of trust at a time, see how they handle it. If they're worthy, give them a little bit more. Number nine, the Ten Commandments for spending yourself these mind games. Number nine, live by the highest principles you can conceive every day. Refusing to allow yourself the indulgence of low emotions or goals. Don't be controlled by your low emotions. Remember, people talk about in mindfulness, stay focused in the moment. Don't be stuck in the present or the past. And also realize you're connected to a higher power. That's what you want to guide you, that higher power, not the lower emotions. Those who play mind games ruthlessly, like Napoleon, Alexander, whoever, are often controlled by lower emotions. Number 10, don't play mind games with others unless you're willing to pay the consequences. And also, don't presume to play psychologist for other people after reading our beginner's level of information book, because you don't want to do that. It's just for information and for insight and so forth, help you protect yourself. So, folks, you can check out this book. It's on our website, www.drondalrimple2.com. So it's Taming the Menagerie, Mind Games People Play. Next week, we're going to get back into some of the issues in the book, what this young lady goes through. We'd like to ask you to think about, if you read the book on your own from the website, think about the Mind Games explained there. If you have some which you discover which we haven't, please let us know. If you want to, we can announce, we can announce the name of the Mind Games discovered in your name on our website. It's up to you. In any case, it's a fascinating thing to think about. Our mind games are played all the time. We're surrounded by them. The world's swirling with mind games, illusions, manipulations, because people are still in that tribal state of mind. If we need to rise, you know, not rise above and beyond. We talked before, we all have a great power inside us, a higher power, a connection to an infinite source of energy and light and so forth, which we need to tune into, stay tuned into every day to lead and guide us. And not be tripped up by the illusions, the lies, and manipulations of other people. Instead, to recognize what they are, and say, folks on a higher power to guide us and direct us, which it will do unfailingly if we give it a chance. So, folks, this is a book about the adversaries we face in the world. Most of our books about stimulating the positive energy and the positive thoughts and so forth, such as all our books go back to eight days of creative power, how to think creatively in various different ways. The Inner Manager, a young man's journey to a higher light and so forth. I love you, God. Aphorisms about passing into the higher mind. And of course, our book, Quantum Field Psychology, which is about the theory we've been playing for quite a few years now, told in our film, The Endless Question, which is free on the Amazon Prime. So check those out for more information. And check out the book on mind games. It really is a fun book. We try to make it a humorous and fun read, but also very serious, because what it tells about is what's going on in the world around you. You must know these things to protect yourselves and your families and also to make sure we have fair and honest governments reinstored in the world. Because right now the government's in very sad shape. The world's in a mess. They don't want to destroy itself, and that's what it is. So we have to all work together and hit a critical mass of people working together to build a much higher state of consciousness to the world and not be stuck in a state of mind games, manipulations, lies, and delusions. Well, folks, Dr. Ron Dalrymple signing off on Mind Shock. So next week, come back, we'll have a lot more on this fascinating topic of mind games people play. Take care. Talk to you then. God bless.
Get 366 Proverbs of Peace, Prosperity, and Power with Dr. Ron Dalrymple's book, I Love You, God. This book will lift you up when you are down as it helps you focus on positive higher thoughts. It helps you attain peace and harmony every day. It will even help you build better relationships, self-esteem, and get a better feeling of self-worth. I Love You, God is the perfect book to bring peace to the world one person at a time. Get your copy of I Love You, God by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. For all your live or pre-recorded webcasting needs, come to earthchannel.com. Get your web-based message out to a select group or the whole world. It's easy. A pioneer in webcasting, earthchannel.com provides the best products and services to big corporations and government users. And now this same technology is available to you. They have the best earthcast encoders, servers, and products to meet your technical needs. But wait, don't want to mess with technical stress? No problem. They'll do it for you. EarthChannel.com is your answer. You can use webcasting for lots of things like advertising, marketing, customer support, training, and don't forget, web radio and TV. In fact, you're listening to a live EarthCast right now. So come to EarthChannel.com. Actualize your audio or video webcasting needs today. You can't beat the friendly service or the price. Call EarthChannel.com at 1-800-849-8978. That's 1-800-849-8978. Here's an opportunity you won't want to miss. Dr. Ron Dalrymple is taking on some new clients to coach them to success using the most powerful creation tool you have, your mind. Get timeless secrets on a plethora of his programs designed to help you be your most successful you. Explore the laws of creation. Learn how to unleash your inner genius and so much more. Visit Dr. Ron's website today at drrondalrymple2.com. That's drrondalrymple2.com. Eclectic Talk with a positive twist. HealthyLife.net.